there of the mighty Elvis Costello in the theme song from the British comedy Party Party. Very appropriate as we usher in this new year. And Elvis Costello, in a very rare acting part, features in one of our cult film choices in this first 2024 episode of the Bristol Cult Film Society Cult Film Podcast Podcast. Episode 4, Devastation in Downland. I'm your host, shameful Steve Noble, and this month and every month, we help you with your New Year's resolutions. Will it be standard def, high res, or beautiful 4K? That's what we call resolutions in deepest, darkest depths of the Bristol Cult Film Society. As ever, three leading members of the UK's coolest online film group discuss on-the-edge arty movies, kitchen sink realism, or plain old melty face body horror. Do we scan, or do we pan? Do we spin, or do we bin? Do we respect, or do we eject? Flying high in his very own biscuit tin UFO this month is the return of our very own El Presidente. El Presidente! Mr. Steve Naive and his choice, Liquid Sky. Because they're all dead. All my teachers. She's here and she's doing the do. Live from Fox Base Alpha, it's the fabulous Betty Fox. And Betty will be opening the doors early for you special patrons to run down nightclub in a forgotten Alan Bleasdale classic. No surrender. I've got a group that can't play music. Can you do Glenn Miller? You mean fly off in the fog? <laughs> One bad comedian plus boyfriend. You don't judge a book by the cover, you know. A nervous breakdown calling himself a magician and two coach loads full of 70-year-old religious maniacs looking for a fight. He's cool. He's racy. He's Mr. Matt Stacy, veteran of the Cult Film Society and provider of today's 80s grungerama, the synth jazz stylings of the Neon Maniacs. Let me ruin your evening, the stranger said to me. Your new lover, my old there you lover, are. she said to me. They think they're going to live forever. What, she told me. what are you doing? But first, a disclaimer. It's that time of year when we all think about what we could do better next year. Will the lights dim on your Radiance collection? Will you hate on 88 films? Are you going to say goodbye to a row? Will you hell as like? Disclaimer. There is an inherent risk of ultra-high-definition 4K Blu-ray, DVD, VHS, Betamax, or even laser-disc purchasing while listening to this podcast. The management accepts no responsibility for lost income, potential bankruptcy, or lost relationships while using the facility. Any incidents of t-shirt purchasing, wobbly-headed rubber monster, or vinyl soundtrack ordering are done under the listener's personal agency and do not reflect the intention of the podcast. The podcast is for recreational use only and not for profit. However, should an occasion arise when any listener or organisation should like to forward large sums of cash to the proprietors, this can and will be arranged swiftly and at the listeners or organisation's convenience so let's not even consider the alternatives let's instead listen to guidance to therapy perhaps in your hunt for the very best in physical media perhaps you need an emotional support dog and if you do who better to guide you than our very own blu-ray bloodhound john kirk sniffing at the tail of this episode (coughs) jules is on the telly 
You've had far too much leftover turkey and schnapps. It's New Year's Eve, but how will you slide into 2024? Maybe by watching one of the three recommendations from these stiffest of our members. Can I say that? I'm Steve Naive, or just Steve, if you like. Um, I live in Bristol, which is why I, uh, I guess, started up the Bristol Cult Film Society. My favourite genre of films um, is not really a genre, although I'd argue it's a bit of a genre, but I don't think it's officially titled uh, a genre, uh, but it's weird films. I like weird films. I'm Betty Fox and I live in Milton Keynes, which uh, I love. Originally from the north, but I live in Milton Keynes now. Uh, And my favourite film genre is folk horror, any horror with a decent, uh, a good story behind it. Um, And I'm also liking um, Jello at the moment as well. Oh, come on, there's always room for Jello. My name's Matt Stacey. Uh, I live in Isleworth, just in the suburbs of London. Uh, my favourite kind of genre is kind of like underground art movies, like uh, like John Waters, for example. Uh, you know, films that are just made by a bunch of friends with a camera and some dog shit. She is also the filthiest actress in the world. Yeah, okay, so my film that I chose was Liquid Sky. Um, <clears throat> probably the reason I chose it is because it's definitely up there in the weird genre as one of my favourite films, I think. <laughs> Directed by a Russian director whose name, if I've got it correctly, is Zlava Zukaman or Slava Zukaman. I'm not quite sure. Um, there's not doesn't seem to be that much about him on the internet, so it's not. I don't really know much about his history. I, I think he, I know he's Russian. Um, I think he then moved to Poland for a while, and he definitely moved to America because that's where he filmed um, Liquid Sky um, in New York, I believe. Um, what do I know about him? Uh, I, I, one, one of the things I do know about him is I think he was the first ever independent filmmaker in Russia. Um, and he made, uh, and he, his debut film was a very short film, which also I don't know the name of. But he's made three other films as well. But to be honest with you, the other three look really, really dull. And like, <laughs> like <laughs> Liquid Sky is by far, I'm sure, the best out of the the rest of them like sort of um 
But um, yeah, so, all right, okay. So what's Liquid Sky about? Like, now I had to write this down because it doesn't really trip off the tongue. Liquid Sky is about tiny junky aliens who come down to Earth in a flying saucer the size of a dinner plate in order to suck the chemical excreted in the human brain during orgasm, as it makes an excellent heroin substitute. They discover an excellent resource of the chemical in the shape of hedonistic sex-crazed neuromantics from the fashion world. So I think, for me, I mean, that's just about where you start with Liquid Sky, isn't it? I mean, like, any film that's got a plot that obtuse, I think, is all right by me, really. It's just, it's, it's a kind of a, a fantasy kaleidoscopic fashion mishmash with probably the worst musical soundtrack anyone's ever written for a film um the craziest plot um i really like the idea of tiny dinner plate sized well tiny aliens that live inside a dinner plate sized ufo um and such the uh chemical from neuromantics brains as a heroin substitute I, i think the plot pretty much sums it up and um I don't really know how else to describe it. It's like, it's just crazy, really. When did you first see it, Steve? Um, well, it was one of the films that I think first sort of started my interest in sort of looking a bit deeper into film. Um, somebody, I'd never heard of it before, but somebody, t- I've, I've, actually, somebody bought me a book called Slime Time, uh, a, a guide to easy, mindless movies, I think it was called. And I think it was listed in there. And in the old days, you couldn't get a very good um, copy of it. Um, there were some really ropey-looking sort of VHS transfers that you could get hold of. So that was when I first saw it. And I'm talking that was probably about, what, 25, 30 years ago or something, I think. And then um, I think it was a couple of years ago, Vinerga Syndrome met up with... Um, Zuckerman and um they got together and they um they they, they uh, you know what do they call it like they did they, they rescanned it and like sort of you know they um you know they re um restored it restored it and um you know now it's the most incredibly stunningly beautiful film to to visually it's really really stunning it's quite amazing actually that it was filmed on 35 mil yeah. which is a bit of a surprise um, and it was on a very low budget at the time of uh, $500,000, I think it, it took them to make it. I, God knows where he's planning on showing a 35 mil film like that. <laughs> and to what audience, I really don't know. But, um, you know, Vinegar Syndrome had done an amazing job in restoring it. And it just it just looks beautiful now, I think. So was that the print that was on YouTube, Steve? Because I was going to ask you a question about the, pr- the print on YouTube is... It seems to cut away. It talks a lot about climaxes and sex, but every time somebody's about to do something, it goes off, then then the squiggly tinfoil comes in. And I just <laughs> wonder if it was missing little, anything. That sort of sound, and then that yes. kind of... Yeah, every time that, somebody has an orgasm. Yeah, I, I, actually, you've got to watch the film about four or five times to get what that actually is, because that's actually like... You know where it all goes blurry and kind of weirdly technical. Mm. That's actually alien's eye view. That, so that's what you're seeing through the alien's lens when it when everything goes all colour and technical and like that.
and that 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 kind of um explosion i think is is the chemical that's excreted during orgasm and and then you get that kind of noise as it's kind of sucked up a pointy thing sticky things syringes that's it. <laughs> okay, pointy sticky things. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, brilliant, Steve! I thought it was very interesting. Uh, Betty, how did you get on with it? Um, for the first few minutes, I thought, "Oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get into this at all." Um, I started off by finding the soundtrack actually quite disturbing, but by the end, quite nerve jangling. But by the end, I actually really liked it. I liked the the. It was like merry go merry go round music with the the busy busy New York bits, you know, the sort of background to it all. Um, yeah, I mean, I could I could just about follow the story. As I say, it's, it started off quite dif difficult for me, but I sort of, uh, you know, I managed to pick it up. Um, visually, it was beautiful, absolutely. The colours, um, I, I think it's when they're on the roof, the stained glass colours in the, in the doors and the windows, absolutely beautiful. Um, it reminded me a lot of um, a lot of uh, early '80s videos, you know, music videos, and it's you know, in, in with all the people and the way they were dressed. Um, I did pick up on the alien, the view, the view of the the alien viewpoint of the chemical being produced. I did, I did pick up on that. Uh, one absolute clangor, which I wouldn't normally admit to, but I'm going to admit to. I didn't actually realise that Jimmy and Margaret. We're played by the same. Oh, action. neither did I. Neither I did thought, I. Not until I watched the credits. No, astonishing. I thought they, yeah, I thought they looked alike. Yeah, I thought, oh, but you know, blimey, they've picked those two. Well, you know, they look, they look just that. And um, only afterwards, when I was like sort of looking up at it, I thought, oh, it's the same person. Well, it's a heck of yeah. an acting job, isn't it? The fact that you and it I both watched it, and I guess a lot of other viewers have seen it. Um, yes. Without realizing at all, it's incredible. Because once, once you know, it seems obvious, but. Yeah. It wasn't obvious, you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, I liked the um, the character of uh, oh, I've forgotten his name. Is it Johan, the German scientist? I thought he, I think that that bit with with him and Sylvia was a nice little comic touch, you know, that, that broke it up a little bit because he was so stereotypically German, you know, very very <laughs> dispassionate and very. You know, and she was she was literally laying it all on for him, you know, and he, it was just going way over his head. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, As I say, I, at first I thought, no, you know, but then I, um, you know, and you start to see Margaret's life, that she's being sort of, she escaped being moulded in, um, was it Connecticut? Yeah. I can't remember where she came from. Yeah. And then she was moulded by Adrian and then sort of moulded a little bit by her uh, ex-tutor and exploited a little bit. And it, it just all it all made sense, this, this um, I mean, to use a cliche, sort of her journey from, you know, thinking she'd escaped to actually just being exploited in another way. And then finally her, you know, a sort of self-realisation and, and taking control. So yeah, yeah, in the in the end, after about the first half hour, I enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's lots of beautiful graphics to be looking at, and beautiful things. It's oh yeah, very, very yeah, visually very very. You're always keen to yeah. see what's happening in the next visual. Matthew, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was absolutely amazing. I swore it was a film that I had seen before, but I'm not sure what I was thinking of because it wasn't that. Well, hell, it was not that. 
But uh, it looks it looks like Lee Bowery made it. You know, with all the visuals and the the art and the fashion, like a, an amazing nineteen eighties fashion video, mm. Tom Duran Duran video. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, to, and to be fair, I mean, like I said, the budget was obviously very very small, but to achieve what they did with the budget they had. Just, just, just the ideas that went into it is, you know, to make it so. I mean, that mask thing with the neon circles around it, where it kept zooming yeah. in and out of that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. That's a brilliant idea. How, how simple is that? It's, it's so effective and looks amazing. But yeah, yeah I've mean, thought of that. It's quite similar to Michel Gondry, the way that Gondry works yeah. with with the work of cutouts and uh, images like that. Yeah. But also, what you say about them? Uh, what's the name? Was it, was it Anne Carlyle? Mm. Yeah, that's right. I that opening scene when. Jimmy's looking for drugs. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. The idea that it's two the same person, the, cut, the cutting is yeah. done so well that it just looks like two people literally walking out of set. It's done brilliantly. I mean, I'm, I kind of cheated about after I kind of thought, yeah, they look kind of similar. I did quickly IMDb it on my phone and realised it was the same person. But I mean, you know, she she's how she didn't go on to do amazing things afterwards. I have no idea. Why is she and not she in knew. everything? Her acting, yeah. her acting was brilliant. Hmm? Really she good. She was so good. I mean, yeah, I, I literally was totally spellbound by it. She was so so good in every, every, every scene she was in. And the story is quite, you know, it's, it's quite a, a, a simple story. You can tell they, you know, they well, I say a simple story. It's you know, it's about an alien with what it is. What I didn't get though, <laughs> one point that kind of confused me was when they um they turn into the the foil thing when they trick. Yeah, the mm. first two. Had shards in their heads. Yes. So what was that all about? It was like one minute. It was like you know, let the, let the box him up and get rid of him. So why oh, did well, he doesn't she doesn't she talk to the alien and say, "I'm getting too many bodies in here. You've got yeah. to help me get rid of them." Oh, I must have missed that. Yeah, yeah the, the alien helps her. The alien yes. starts helping her and and gets rid of the bodies for her. Yeah, yeah. That that, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, on the, on the diamond it? little bits, they're the syringy bits, aren't they? Like the, the, mm. the device. Oh, you think that's actually the device that's doing the brain sucking? Oh. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. yeah I thought that. Again, yeah. one of the things I love about this, this is like the, the pint in the pub after you see the movie, right? This is where <laughs> we discuss it between us. Um, Steve, i got to say, mate, you love a movie with a yellow color, fil- color, uh, a yellow color filter, don't you? Because I was just thinking that we watched Junkie last time you were on the show. Gosh, yeah. Um, and it, which concludes with a beautiful yellow color filter over New York. This starts with a beautiful color filter over the Statue of Liberty. I mean, one could follow straight into the other. They're very, very similar in visual sense. Obviously, very different after that. I thought it was the best flying saucer effects since Plan 9 from outer space. It was a, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I loved it because it was – I love imagination in there. You were talking, Matthew, you are talking, Betty, about just the way it looked different and, and making the most of a small budget, which you do by um, pulling all these resu- – every, everybody you've ever met into it, saying, right, who looks different? Who looks unusual? And how do I make use of that? So I thought that was fantastic. Reminding me a little bit of early Cronenberg, actually. Have you ever seen um, the original um, Crimes of the Future in stereo, which were on one of the box sets a few years ago? Very, very stagey dialogue. Very, very slow-paced to some extent. And it was a little bit like that for me. Um, I did think that everybody had amazing faces. They obviously obviously was the fashion or modelling community or whatever, because they all looked absolutely <laughs> stunning um i thought also i mean it's interesting to talk about the sexual politics of it that we we yeah, we look at a queer couple now and think okay well that's 
fair enough, that might go on, or bisexual woman. But actually, we're talking 30, 40 years ago now. I mean, it's way ahead of its time in that respect, mm. I'm guessing, you know. Mm. Um, there's another one that was big on the London late night circuit that used to read about in Time Out. I think I'd really like to see that. <laughs> I never quite did. Um, and the last bit, the very last scene, I think we can discuss it because uh, when she decides that she wants to go, well, to, to go back with the alien, really, I love that dance. That was very David Lynch, the dancing yeah. on the roof. Um, yes. The, yeah. which, which was stunning and really gave that sense of, of closure for her. Uh, no, a great choice, Steve. And as I say, I'd always wanted to see it, never had. Um, so thanks for that. Uh, but what about that ending sequence, though? It's all shot in the dark and they've got the makeup that they. Oh, yes. Isn't that brilliant? Her face is really stunning, I think. Uh, she's delivering the model to the camera. Thing. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. Yeah, I definitely recommend watching it several times because you get more out of it each time you watch it. Yeah, I can believe that. I can believe it. And it, uh, yeah, it's one of those ones I'm thinking, I'm not sure the YouTube print, um, I, I think there might be more to it. So I'd be intrigued to go and see what, what the vinegar syndrome print is like, for instance. But stunning to look at. So it was a very good copy on YouTube. In fact, um, actually, Betty, apart from yours, they were all great on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do apologise. That was terrible. I, I, I don't know if you can get it on Amazon Prime or somewhere like that. I wasn't sure, but it, it was a terrible print, yeah. That was that was, uh, that was mean That was mean of me, but it's not a bad way to segue <laughs> into your movie. It, it, it was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was New Year's Eve. What's the score with you? I'm the new manager. That good enough for you? No, not yet. The evening started badly. Get in here. Right, this is number 26. Yeah, 26 Atley Height. This is Atley, not Gate School. But compared with what was on the way, kids' stuff. You're the singer. Nah, the manager. The singer's manager. Just the manager. What are we tonight? What are we what? Are we Labour, Liberal, Conservative? Who's taking us out? I ain't pretending to be Hebrew. I don't know any of their hymns. It was supposed to be a party, but they were more interested in old scores than old Lang Syne. We have unfinished business, Billy McCracken. Not tonight. I have too much on my mind. Tonight, Billy McCracken. Tonight. Well, you better tell me what's going on. What? Because I want to know, that's why. I've got a group that can't play music. Can you do Glenn Miller? You mean fly off in the fog? <laughs> One bad comedian plus boyfriend. You don't judge a book by the cover, you know. A nervous breakdown calling himself a magician and two coach loads full of 70-year-old religious maniacs looking for a fight. Can you keep a grip of these, father? Do you want an honest answer? Hogman, eh? It was more like the battle of the boy and no prisoners taken. Didn't you tell me the fire was your responsibility, Bernard? Happy New Year. No surrender. A comedy that doesn't pull any punches. Oh, this for £2.86 an hour. No surrender. Betty, tell us more about No Surrender. I was really pleasantly surprised by this, by the way, because I did see it on release. I haven't seen it since, so tell us more about it. Ah, right. Well, um, it, it was a lousy print, but the good thing is it, it, it's um, 
it's not meant to be a particularly visual film like Liquid Sky. Um, so No Surrender, and there, there is another film called No Surrender. I can't remember what it's about, but it, this, this No Surrender was, uh, is set in Liverpool, uh, a very run-down um, Liverpool of the early to mid-80s. Um, and uh, it's written by, uh, the screenplay is by Alan Bleasdale, who um, generally, I think this is his only film, he writes. Uh, he he normally writes TV dramas. Um, he's, he wrote uh, Boys from Black Stuff and and GBH, um, and it's uh, a a story of uh, a New Year's Eve in a very rundown nightclub called the Charleston Club, and we have um, we're introduced to a, a a character called Mike who's just come to manage the club, a new manager. And um, first of all, he can't get in the club because the doorman won't let him in. Um, and then it's all about how this night unfolds because it's a bit like a... No, the nightclub is a great comedy vehicle because you can literally bring all your weird characters in as staff, guests and, and so on. Um, but uh, unfortunately for Mike, the manager before him had um out of spite to the to the actual owner of the club booked in um some hardline um northern irish protestant uh, a senior citizen group and uh, also some um catholic uh, a catholic uh, pensioners group on the same night for new year's eve he told the catholics that there was a fancy dress party so the catholics are in fancy dress the protestants are in their normal clothes uh, he'd booked, considering these are old people, he booked the most inappropriate acts. He'd booked um, an awful punk band, um, a very bad comedian, and uh, a, a nervous wreck who had stage fright who was supposed to be a magician. So um, now this is, I mean, this in itself is a nightmare to, to, to manage. There's also um, a couple of subplots because um, right at the very beginning, you meet um, a character who is the, he's the unofficial leader. The, the two groups have unofficial leaders. Billy is the unofficial leader of the Protestants. And uh, an old friend of his who he hasn't seen for 40 years turns up, who's obviously been involved in some sort of terrorist activities and asks for help. So um, because there's no, he has to go to this evening out and can't really, doesn't really know what to do, Billy actually takes him along to this nightclub. Um, the other subplot being that about halfway through the night, Mike gets to realise what's really behind the nightclub, um, which is it's a money laundering um, machine for the boss of the nightclub, Mr. Ross. So, um, I mean, it's a very complicated plot. I know I've, I've sort of gone on a bit there. You really have to watch it. What I liked about it was, as I said, it's not a visual film. The dialogue is absolutely fantastic. Just about every scene, you could just listen to it. It's, it's so funny, the dialogue, because um, the people, you know, it's, it's Liverpool, Liverpoolian people have this 
reputation for being witty. And it is really, really witty all the way through. Um, and also, uh, for cult film fans, it has got the best cast. It is wonderful. You've got um, Ray McAnally. You've got um, Michael Angelis, who's sadly no longer with us. I didn't realise that. We've got Bernard Hill. Um, all these great character actors. Um, and probably most interesting for... Um, for cult film fans, um, Michael Ripper, who has been in countless Hammer Horror films in the 50s and 60s. He's got um, a, a very good supporting role to the leader of the Catholics, Paddy Burke, who, um, and he's a, a little little Weasley man. He thinks he's, he's Paddy's right-hand man, but he's, he's a bit of a creep. And, um, you know, not really very, uh, not really a very likeable person at all. Does Michael Ripper ever age? He looks identical. He looks exactly the same, <laughs> exactly doesn't he? The same. he this the was same one of his last films, and he looks like exactly the same. As he did in yeah. the fifties, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I mean, there are. It, it's such compared with Vanilla Sky and, and the, the other film. Sorry, Vanilla Sky, Liquid, Liquid Sky. Sky. <laughs> sorry, um, there are theme, There are themes running through it. So there's themes of violence. There's the the fisticuffs violence between the Catholics and the Protestants, but then underlying it in behind the scenes, there's the, the, the really threatening, frightening violence of Mr. Ross, the nightclub owner who never raises his voice, smiles a lot, never throws a punch, perfectly pleasant, but boy, is he frightening, you know? Um, and also I think there's a, there's a big theme of self-awareness running through it because um, Billy, um, the, 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 the a Protestant leader, has, has all his fight has left him. He's not, he still has his, his own, you know, his very strong, committed beliefs, but he's, he can't, he doesn't want to fight anymore. He's done with it. Whereas, uh, Paddy Burke on the Catholic side has a complete lack of self awareness, still thinks he's 25 and wants to punch up with everybody. So, um, yeah, so it's, there, yeah, I mean, you can look through, there's, there's so many people, there's, there's people, there's um, Mike, um, Mr. Ross and um, Billy who have self-awareness. There's um, Paddy and uh, Norman, the, the old friend, Billy's old friend, and um, Bernard, as Bernard Hill's character is called, who um, have no self-awareness at all you know and and don't realize what their situation is and and what they are and what they can achieve so um yeah and it, it it's all i can't really it all turns up it, it all ends in a massive fight in the nightclub uh and uh, it's how does mike how does mike deal with that how does he get out of it alive how does it all end you know, and and does anybody learn anything? Billy learns something. Um, I don't want to spoil the end, but I, I think the end the ending is absolutely beautiful, absolutely beautiful. When you hear Billy at the beginning, and when you hear Billy at the end, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, you said is that that is a really nice coda. Brilliant, yeah. Matthew. How did you get on with it? I really, really liked it, and I, again, it's a film I hadn't seen before. But I recognised the the, uh, the poster as one of those ones that I'd seen the videos. Yeah. 
when I was a kid. Uh, and when I'm a, I love Adam Dingsdale stuff anyway. I mean, the boys from the black stuff, like say GBH and all the other stuff he's done. Yeah. And he had a real kind of, he kind of got the impression that it probably might have been written for TV originally. Yeah, possibly, maybe. Probably yeah. Even, yeah. Possibly even, even for stage. Well, it was a film for mm. script, wasn't it? So, yeah. film for yeah. stuff did go to TV quite quickly. But, yeah. 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 But, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a really, it's kind of sad in some respects. It's about, you know, a, a Thatcher's Britain where this whole degraded area and all they've got is their religion. That's all they've got, yes. to, hold, all, all they've got to hold on to. You know, that's what they fight over yeah. because they've got nothing yeah. else. And uh, but I mean, one thing, though, I loved about it was Bernard's hair. Brilliant quiff, yeah. thing was just how you how you do that. I've no idea. It must be a wig. Brilliant. He's got a pretty good head of hair, Bernard Hill. So, <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> or he did have. Um... Yeah, but I mean, he was great. Bernard Hill was. He was always just got sort of lurking in the background. Mm. I mean, he would sort of play a, a really main part as such. He was just in the background <laughs> observing. And making sort of snarky comments, really. Mm. But it's also interesting because they were both fresh from Boys from the Black stuff, both Michelangelo yeah. and him, and both yeah. played completely against the types that they played in Boys yeah. from the Black stuff. So yeah. very yeah. 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 Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Great. I'm glad to hear it, man. Uh, cheers, man. Uh, Steve, have you, have you seen it before? I think I have seen it, like, but, um, you know, years and years and years ago, I think I probably saw it. I probably rented it on video, I think. Um, but um, I mean, I gotta say, like, sort of, as te testament to Alan Bleasdale's writing, that you can enjoy a film that much you know, through the, the filter of that terrible transfer. I mean, like, sort of, yes, that was kind of. You're making me feel bad now. <laughs> <laughs> we do ask for movies to be available to the audience, regardless of what level. So thank that's, you. That's, thank that's you, Betty. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, was, there were two prints on YouTube and you could, you could, you had the choice, like you could buy, you could, sorry, not buy, you could watch the one that was like 16-9 um, ratio mm. and a little bit clearer, but actually jerking all the way through. Or, or you could watch, there was another one that was in a 4.3 ratio that was like yeah. no jerking, but incredibly blurry. So, a bit blur yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. I mean, it was you know after a while you just kind of forget the the you know the quality of the film because yeah. you get hmm. absorbed by the actors, you get absorbed by the story. Um, it's one of those films, like sort of. Um, I, I think it's one of those films that 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 Brits do really well. Like you know, like the the kind of the the you know the sort of. Um, gritty kind of comedy that's got a really dark you know, mm. underside like and I, I remember that you know that scene where like sort of he goes into the back room and and sees the the mm. previous guy being beaten up yeah that, that was really shocking i mean what a completely violent scene in the midst of you know yeah. everything yeah. that we're we're seeing you know we're, we're kind of invited to sort of uh, you know enjoy the kind of comedy of the you know the Catholics and the Protestants, but uh, yeah, yeah. of course, there's a serious underside to that dynamic as well. Like, uh, the, mm. I'm glad you told me it was in Liverpool because I was I spent the whole time trying to work out whether they were Liverpudlians in Ireland or Irish people. In <laughs> Liverpool. No, no, they they were because a lot of Irish came over to Liverpool. Yeah, and and they they took that sort of Catholic Protestant uh, tension with them. 
I think that I think yeah. Liverpool has a large a large Irish community um, from uh, from what I know. Yeah, right. I think I I'm not sure it was actually filmed in Liverpool. I think it may have been filmed in Greater Manchester. Right. I what I think you... I seem to remember reading that. You know what film? Uh, what year it was filmed? Yeah. Uh, well, it was eighty five. Eighty five. It came out. So. So there still would have been quite a lot of trouble in Northern Ireland around that time, wouldn't there? Oh yes, yeah. It's still, which is why I mean, this this was before the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah. And um, so the, uh, the beginning, um, the the Norm Norm Norman the little guy um, is. You don't find out exactly what he's doing, but he is obviously on. He says he's on the run, and yeah. um, you know, there's 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 some sort of underlying trouble. That um, Billy, as I say, Billy once left behind and in the past, but is is still going on for you know for some of them. Mm. Yeah, it's a good solid film. I'd really like to see uh, like you know a Blu-ray edition of it or something. Yeah. I know there's a VHS, yeah, just a DVD. <clears throat> yeah, it, it seems to have largely um, uh, disappeared, which is partly why I chose it um because um it i i can't see i mean yes it's it's a it's a an old part you know it's an old it's in it's in the past now you know um and yes there's there's a little bit of language that probably wouldn't be acceptable today but you know um but i i just i saw i actually saw it by accident i went to see the chain with warren mitchell got there too late and and um, went to see that instead, and and it was it was a, a really wonderful accident because I thought it was brilliant, and I, I I really can't see why it's not been, sh you know, shown more over the years, and it's mm. not more more well known. Chain it was another film four, wasn't it? it wasn't the chain another film four production? I think it was. Yeah, yeah that that was. A good, I did eventually see that. That's another good film. Um, there were a lot of good films out around around that time, sort of mid mid eighties. Better to Brezhnev, Brazil, all yeah. all really good films that came out sort of a, around that time. Yeah, well, Matthew, you said something. Oh no, I say it, it deserves to be, to uh, you know get a, get uh, another another look. I mean, it's part of that kind of genre of British comedy that kind of disappeared. Things like uh, mm. I mean, Restless Natives has kind of had a bit of a comeback, and local yes. and local hero. That's you yeah, know, yeah, a film that's come back. But there's things like uh, what's the one with Julie Waters, uh, Car Trouble with Julie Waters, for example. Oh yes, yeah, yeah no, it's kind of like working class comedy. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Even, and, and even though like the, the whole story is now, like I say, it's, it's, it's very historical now. But yeah. I still think it would, you know, it would benefit from a good Blu-ray release. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really disappointed to say this is why I chose it to sort of give it a push forward and say, actually, you know, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> the campaign starts here. I thought it was. I, I, I saw it when it came out, but I hadn't seen mm. it since either. And it was at the time, the eighties. I got the pictures pretty much every week and see whatever mm. was on. Knew it was Alan Bleasdale. Knew it was going to be good. Had forgotten that the, the central point was the conflict between you know, the, the Irish factions there. Um, yeah. Which is very different these days, obviously. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, mm. The director was interesting. The director made very little else, and then went on to do twenty-two episodes of Midsummer Murders. Yes, I, 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 he didn't do. I mean, he did do some films, but I have to admit, I don't think I recognise any of them. But he, really? I think he seemed to be more, more of a TV director, which is probably where, you know, you got the impression it, it, it felt a little like a TV film. So, 
Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, yeah film four. Yeah. Um, but I thought Michelangelo was great. Um, uh, mm. He was, because I remember Ah, Lucian in the life. Lucian, yeah. <laughs> and then he was in Boys from the Black stuff. Uh, mm. He was quite good looking, wasn't he, in this? He was actually oh, very lovely. much the charming yeah, hero. Lovely looking, yeah. Isn't a role. Mm-hmm. But of course, always be most loved in our house for being narrator for Thomas the Tank Engine, said Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he do, of... he did one of the voices for uh, The Yellow Submarine. I think he was, uh, did he? I think oh, he voiced sense. Ringo Starr. Yeah, he was Ringo Starr. I'm not sure. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, I, didn't I thought that. so. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the dialogue, and of course, it's <laughs> pleased now, so it's going to be great. But Absolutely, I forgot yeah, how good it was. So, my favourites were Every Hour's Happy Year, Madam. I loved her. Uh, You're all right on one liners, but you don't half fall apart on long sentences. And then, of course, actually, so Elvis Costello is probably my favourite musician. But I remember going to see this, and he's not very good in this. He's not an actor. You can understand why he limited his no, acting parts. No, no, no. Uh, yes, I, I, I do like the fact him. that they got to say, uh, what can you do? I told a bit of everything. Everything apart from singing, I should have said. No, just, it's like you, some of the attitudes are a bit difficult now. Some play for laughs, unfortunately. A burden mm, of string yeah. of insults um, yeah. would have been funny at the time. Less so now, but that's yes, great. And, yeah. and that the, the cast, yeah. just just the people in the background roles. Um, Ken Jones, the guy whose wife has a heart attack, he was horrible yes. lives. He was horrible lives in Porridge. Oh, in Porridge, yeah. Yes, yes, that's, yes that's right. Yeah. I think where on earth have I seen him before? Uh, Ian Hart is one of the thugs in the, the thugs, subway. Yes. Yeah, who gets yeah. like three lines. Um, I've got all these written down, but there was such a long list. Oh, and the McGann brothers. The McGann brothers. The policeman yeah. and um, uh, Joe McGann was the, one of the policemen who did the wrong raid that's right. and uh mark mcgann was the leader of the punk band he was that's right and yeah. the guy the guitarist and that the mouthy guitarist was the guy who played scully scully another, yeah another album <laughs> police i think so fantastic great so, right out of the blue and it, it's interesting that you picked it betty what uh, you said you wanted to rescue it from obscurity yeah absolutely yeah yeah Tremendous. Uh, it, it, it was it was one of my happy accidents you know and um i, I just i just loved it and as I said, I, I I really don't know why it hasn't survived. Great choice. Well, as I say, the mission to revive it starts here. You're telling me that these things are inside the Golden Gate Bridge. One. Two. That they only come out at night. That they're responsible for the death of 15 or more kids and three of my police officers. <laughs> Let me ruin your evening The stranger said to me Your new lover My old lover She said Come on, Sue, it's playing They think they're going to live I forever what she told me What are you doing? Come on, look at that You want to play with us? She wants to pull around But they're in for a terrible surprise Now, there are 12 new reasons to be afraid of the dark. They're after me. And every one of them is a killer. Introducing, in diabolical order, Axe, Hangman, Doc, Biker, Slash Juice Samurai Mobile 
archer. Soldier. These are the neon maniacs. They live so others may die. Neon Maniacs. Matt, you give Neon Maniacs, which again, and I, what I say, I love about, I say it every single time, every single time somebody covers a gem, I think, why haven't I seen this before? Even the title of this was amazing. I love the cod poetry that it started with. When the world is ruled by violence and the soul of mankind fades, the children's path shall be darkened by the shadows of the Neon Maniacs. Mm. Matt, tell us more about it. It's, again, it's a film that I picked up. I first watched story in 1990 when I was about 12, which we felt I probably shouldn't have been watching it. It was kind of one of the things I sort of stuck in my, dad, my dad's hand and he just got it for me for the video store without even, even taking a look. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's really it's such an odd film. There's no, it's not like a typical slasher film or... It's got a real 80s feel to it. I mean, you know, it's about a bunch of demons who live under the Golden Gate Bridge, who come out at night to kill teenagers. And for some bizarre reason, they get fixated on one woman who got away and they just kill everybody who gets in the way trying to get to her. And then it comes to a big finale at the end in the high school. But uh, it kind of, but it's like, it's basically the village people. It's a village people <laughs> as, as demons, is what it is. I mean, that's, that's what I love about the film so much, is it has a real 80s feel to it in that kind of like, I mean, back in the 80s, you had things like the garbage pail kids, you know, was a gang of kids, you had the Care Bears, a gang of Care Bears, you had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and now you've got a gang of demons killing people for reasons we don't know at all. And it's just, I, I, oh, I, I just, uh, I, I gush over it because I love it so much because it's such a great film. But, uh, and it's, it's got so many flaws, there's a lot of flaws in it. The music is just one of the biggest I mean, it's a, a, a horror film and it starts out with cool synth jazz as a, as a soundtrack. Which is like, <laughs> well, who, who chose that? Who thought that was a good idea? <laughs> and another thing is like when the guy's putting stuff into the, um, the, fri into the fridge, did you notice that? He's putting, putting the fridge with the shopping and it's all triangles in paper. So unless he's like got loads and loads of cheese, or individual pieces of a pizza. What the hell is he putting in there? <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that you can get a whole crate of beer for five dollars. <laughs> what you are you buying? Beer, Champagne? Right? Yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, but yeah, I mean, but I love all the fact that, that, that each individual uh, demon is so very unique and completely different. You know, you've got the biker, you've got the uh, the archer, you've got Juice, who is my personal favourite, who you know, you can do the electricity but looks like a complete gimp. You've got um what's the other guy? You've got um uh this half weird ape creature who I don't know if anyone noticed changes halfway through the film. You see him right at the beginning, and then he pops up in the middle in the swimming pool scene, and then you see him at the end, and his complete makeup changes completely in the middle bit is completely different to the beginning and the end. Because apparently the film uh basically shut down after three weeks. But it ran for three weeks, they so shut it down because no one was getting paid. Apparently the cameramen took all the equipment and refused to hand it over until they got paid. And by the time they got it back again, three months later, half the people who played the um, Neon Maniacs didn't want to come back, probably because they knew one will be paid. So, yeah, so you know, the, the special effects guys basically had to redo all the makeup really quickly. So some of it looks 
bit off, you know, a bit weird and a bit off-putting. But what the, the thing I really do like about it, though, is the fact you get to see them really clearly. Do you know what I mean? I mean, so many films like Nightmare on Elm Street, for example, where you know Freddy's in the background, he's, he's, in, he's in the darkness. You get really good close-ups of these guys, and some of the, the makeup is just—it's amazing makeup. And the samurai guy, he, he looks—you know—the rotten face. He's great. The biker looks great. Oh yeah, and, and the music. Like I said, I talked about the, saying about the, the, the jazz bit at the beginning, but when you get to the battle of the bands at the end. And the two bands, the Outlaws, who are basically a crap cars cover band. Let me ruin your evening, said to me. <laughs> and then you've got the Motley Crue style band, the guy with a whip wearing leather. All the kids who act so tough, making us hands their hearts are made of stone. Like, how could you do that in a high school, really? <laughs> if you tried doing that in a high school, you'd be kicked out. Oh, but yeah, I, it's, it's, and I'm probably, I might be looking through it for rotating glasses because I saw it so young. But it, um, it's, it's a film that I think needs to be um, re-evaluated. People need to see it and people just, it, no one seems to have heard of it. It needs I mean, to be evaluated, let alone re-evaluated. Yeah, yeah, evaluated, <laughs> full stop. But, I mean, I saw, like, uh, I, I saw one guy online on YouTube who done a little video about Things he did, he, he, he basically was slagging it off, and I was tempted to say you're a dick, but I didn't. But uh, <laughs> but you can say it here. Say it. Here. I can say it here. Guys, a dick. But uh, but you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's such a really odd film. I mean, I, I get the impression. I mean, it ends on a really really abrupt ending. Just basically just stops. And before I, what I've learned from online, basically the the the, um, the writer of it uh, wanted to make a trilogy. That was the whole idea. We wanted to make a trilogy of it where. You know, and the whole thing was going to be, do you remember at the beginning with the um, playing cards? The guy fights the tarot, like tarot cards with them. That was going to be released. He wanted to release them for people's kids to collect. Who's going to let their kids collect that? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, maybe in this day and age, you might get serial killer cards. But back then, some of them were you know, pretty nasty looking cards. Oh, but yeah, I think it's a wonderful <laughs> film. Although the only thing I, um, that annoys me about it is Donna Locke. He plays the little girl Paula. Because mm. she, she was like 25 when she made this film, and she played a 13 year old just because she was so <laughs> short. I got her in to do it because she, she's, she's done nothing since or before. <laughs> and, uh, but I do like that also when you look around her bedroom, there's so many like things from oh, nerdy, isn't it? Nerd Central, it's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, even, <laughs> even her hat, it's from Alien. It's a, well, I had that hat, I had that very hat. It was quite the thing to have in the late 80s, so I absolutely had that. So, yeah. And her mate had one as well, didn't he? Yeah. That's what, and, 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 you know, it, and basically, you know, that was a lot of us, I think, when we were that young, getting hold of camcorders and fake fake teeth and trying, going around graveyards trying to make films. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it needs to be seen again because it's such a good film. Uh, and it's just... Like I said, I'm sort of gushing about it because I love it. So, I just do love it because <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good flick. It's got that real '80s feel to it with the, with the little, you know, the gang of creatures that uh, you just don't get films like that anymore. You know, but, I mean, it's, it is one step away from being a kids' film in some respects. I think you know, if you took out some some of these more kind of nasty deaths, it could be like Monster Squad because it's so it's so. No one swears in it in the whole film. There's no swearing in it, from what I remember, in the whole film. I was thinking they were they seem to go for that crossover audience. Of course, in the States, you can see a horror film with an adult. You know, yeah, speaking of the in the UK. So maybe they would go for both audiences. Absolutely right. But I don't think anyone went for audience at all. <laughs> 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 so, so, 
You're telling us a beard. <laughs> Steve, you you probably got the uh, the VHS of this with an inch thick caking of dust on top of it, I'd imagine. <laughs> Are you familiar with it? Or do you, was this the first you time for what? you? No, I'd never even heard of it until Matt, Matt said he was he was like, uh, we were going to watch it. Like I don't think you even believed that I... That I think you thought I was lying when I said I'd never heard of it, didn't you? Of course. You've seen it's you, man. You, I thought you better have seen it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not one I haven't seen. It was an interesting film. I've never seen a film without a plot before. I mean, <laughs> literally, I mean, even some of the worst plots, there's some kind of plot. But Neon Maniacs is just like these maniacs hunting down students. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> never like. It's not explained, though, is it? That like no, no, no. From or why they're there? there no, there's some explained. notes. There are some notes on IMDb about it, about where they were supposed to be coming from, which was aliens from another dimension that just happened to transport into the back of a cargo truck. And I think Matt, if they were going for the trilogy, that probably would have been explained. But no, been, yeah. you're absolutely right. As it is, they're just there to kill people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no kind of like you know ancient, you know haunted kind of. I don't know, Indian burial ground type stuff. They just happen to be there and they just happen to hate students. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else? I, I wrote some stuff about it. Like, um, was his name, <clears throat> director's name was Joseph, Joseph Mangine. Yeah. Mangione, yeah. Yeah. Mangione. Yeah. As in, he's like food a type of Italian. grooming, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think yeah, I wrote some notes. So I think I think I decided it's like Nightbreed but dumber. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and I wrote down a few descriptions for the guys as well. This you've got like somebody that looks like the missing link, a, a, a kind of frog monster, a tomahawk wielding mental patient, a samurai clayman, and a Cadbury's flake monster. Cadbury's <laughs> flake. <laughs> Which one was the Cabri's Flake Monster? Yeah. If you say it's the one in the yellow wrapper, I'm <laughs> <laughs> That hair metal band were absolutely fantastic. They have been <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to see more of them. <laughs> they could have made a whole film on that hair metal band alone, I reckon. <laughs> they were surprisingly good. Betty, how did you get up with it? Um, yeah, I, I hadn't hadn't heard of it before. Um I it, it it reminded me with you saying a, a crossover film. It, it was it did feel very much like an eight sort of a, an eighties kid film, and then again an eight an early eighties, bit like a slasher movie. Like it, it just had the feel. I, don't, I think probably the soundtrack as well of, of like Nightmare on Nightmare on Elm Street and um, uh, what's the other? Uh, it, it felt with with all the characters together. It it, it reminded me also of the Fog. You know where the, where they all sort of came out, and it was all swirly and dark and so on. Um, yeah, there wasn't—I mean, there the wasn't much of a plot. It, it was a bit thin, but it had all the it had all the elements there. You know, the the the, the sole surviving woman uh, who nobody believes, um, the sparky little kid who tries to help, and um, and the uh, the you know the police as well, the, the detectives. It, um, I think I, I really, I mean, I, I'd probably, I'd watch both of them again. Um, I, I think I'd probably need to watch it again to 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 fully pick up on it and get into it. 
but uh, it, it was it, it was it was enjoyable. I, I did I did love the battle of the bands because I mean there was no contest, was there? You know, it was. <laughs> I love the I love your descriptions. The cards covers band that was brilliant. That was yeah, so yeah, yeah. Well, that 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 was about it. Yeah, you know. Um, and and also, what I really love was the fact that these things were so, um, you know, cruel and 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 without pity and 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 all this. They you know kill people without any sort of remorse, and all you needed was was water. You know, it, it's like the old, <laughs> like the old Daleks. You know that yes, they were awful, they were cruel, they were all powerful, but they couldn't go upstairs. The old yeah. Daleks. So now you've got, you know, you've, all, all you need for these is a drop of water, and 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 they're gone. Well, let's so, face it, you just gob on them, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, so yeah, it, it it was a lot of fun. Like I said, I didn't didn't know much about it. Went in totally blind. Um. But uh, yeah, I would I, I would watch it again. I think that would make a good uh, good one for our group viewing. That that was yeah. uh, I, I think that was a good one. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. It's funny uh, again, Matthew. Funny the first thing that excited me was I love the art for it. The art on YouTube, which presumably yeah. is taken from TV, isn't that beautiful? Mm. Looks fantastic, and I did like. So the, the funny thing about <clears> it was I'm watching it thinking, oh, they're like the Cenobites from Hellraiser. But actually, this was filmed before Hellraiser. Um, and then you, you, you see here the DJ from uh, the DJ was saying, Oh, it's like the fog. Actually, it's from before the fog as well. <laughs> they were, they were kind of, it seems to be homaging things that were either uh, Battle of Bands, Back to the Future was the year before. So that might have been on their brain from that. Uh, but uh, I kept thinking of the homaging stuff, especially as you talked about the bedroom. It was rather, that bedroom was great. Oh, sorry. The other thing is, I thought, well, she's like the Frog Brothers. Yeah, she's like the Frog Brothers from Lost Boys, which also was after this. So, um, <laughs> quite a small film and i think it was that influential but it was great and i did love things that came in i thought the swimming pool scene with all the blood was very argento actually yeah. it seemed to me that every now and then the striker the striker a particular almost they were trying to do uh you talked about the the short actress who played the teenager uh the tall actress who played the uh the our lead um she was her name is I've got I've written it down wrong. Her name was Leilani, Leilani, uh, and I've written satellite, which is obviously word corrected. But anyway, she's the same actress that Sharon Stone's girlfriend in Basic yeah. Instinct. She didn't kind of really want to do anything after yeah. everything. I mean, yeah, the guy who right. played the lead, Clyde Hayes. The only thing I can find out of interest of him that he was in Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter, and Years of Soaps did soaps as well. Oh yeah, he did a bunch of soaps. But I mean, yeah. film-wise, nothing. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, but the guy who, funny enough, the, there was a guy who was very successful on this film because it's got a very distinctive visual component to it. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking that particularly when she's, she's rotating in the swimming pool and they spent ages just filming it and look looked gorgeous. And the whole film that you start to realise is good. The guy who did that is a guy called Oliver Wood. Turns out he's a Brit. This is one of his earliest films. He went to make a lot of serious films, including Die Hard 2. He was the director of photography. Um, he did Morbius. That was his last film because he sadly died earlier this year. Um, and he did the Bourne films. He did all the cinematography of the Bourne films. Oh, wow. So this wasn't a bad little kickoff for that guy. Really well, I gather, that. well, I gather most of the people who worked on this film are now dead. Yes. Oh. Yeah. A lot of them, the writer, the director, some yeah. of the cast, all, all, you know, all passed away. Well, the writer killed himself, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> We'll never get like a, you know, we'll never get a, a way of finding out any real background about what happened with, with the shutdown, the budgetary, and that kind of stuff because they're off dead, or no one wants to talk about it. <laughs> well, the same scriptwriter, Mark Carducci, did go on to write Pumpkinhead, which he did. is another, yeah, yeah. another cult favourite, so one we love. Uh, it does have uh, some of my favourite uh, dialogue of any film: "Don't run, 
use your squirt gun, which is, you know, <laughs> when, you, when you've got monsters with hooks chasing you, that's the first thing on your mind. I'll fire a water pistol at it. Um, but I, I just thought it was great. I thought the Devin character, the, the, the dismissive cop, was born to be played by Dennis France. That was that was a Dennis France, you know, miserable policeman role. I thought, uh, but yeah, and the ending was interesting, wasn't it? I, it was a run out of money ending, but yeah, it's it was also yeah. not dissimilar to other movies like. And again, I go back to Cronenberg. Um, oh crikey, uh, Shivers! The, the ending of Shivers is very similar, except much more downbeat, obviously, because you see the, the infection spreading beyond the town. But yeah, just to say, oh goodness, I hope it carries on raining. Also. I just thought of another link here. Um, the uh, guy, the the other, so Joseph Mangione was actually, again, more famous as a director of photography than anything, and he did Squirm as well. Yeah, and Alligator. And Alligator, but Squirm's got a very similar ending. Yeah. It, but it, it, the rain stops in, in Squirm and all the worms go away, but they could come back at any time. <laughs> <laughs> any final thoughts for our listening audience? Because you're all going to be celebrities now, you know. So Steve's already experienced this. <laughs> People stop me in the street and ask for my autograph and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) As ever, there are links to the three movies, Liquid Sky, No Surrender and Neon Maniacs in the show notes on Facebook. Now it's that time. You want to press pause on 23 and fast forward into 24? Get your notebook and your credit card to hand in preparation for the upcoming new releases on Cult Blu-ray. He looks with derision at VistaVision. He's the great white hope for Cinemascope. He's the High Lama of Cinerama. It's Mr. John Tiberius Kirk, the Blu-ray Bloodhound. Thanks, Steve, and a Happy New Year to you and everyone listening. We're about to enter 2024, and that means it's time to look at the first boutique Blu-rays of the year. We'll start with an overview of the January releases for four labels before a quick run through some of the other releases this month. You know the drill. So let's dive in. First up this month are two releases from the BFI, both out on 22nd of January, and each featuring a limited edition booklet in their first print run. The release I'm most excited to, not just from the BFI, but I think for January, is the documentary Scala by Jane Giles and Ali Cattrall. Now, Steve, for a cult film fan like me who was born in the 80s, I look at the stories of the Scala with admiration and a little bit of envy. The Scala, for those who don't know, I mean, who doesn't know, was a cinema which was best known in the 1980s for its shock around the clock horror all-nighters. It showed the likes of The Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue and The Evil Dead, amongst many, many others. I was too young to visit, but this new release from the BFI will hopefully give a visceral sense of what it may have been like, a magical place, and as the liner notes for the disc explain, a refuge from the violence of Margaret Thatcher's Britain. The documentary came out in 2023, and the disc packs in an audio commentary, 60 minutes of interviews, a 35-minute portrait of the cinema from 1990, short film seen at the Scala, and a look at 15 editions of the cinema's programme, which those, those programmes were so legendary, and much more. The BFI also bring us the haunting drama The Eternal Daughter, another recent release from director uh, Joanna Hagen starring the great Tilda Swinton. I've enjoyed all of Hogg's previous features a lot, particularly both parts of The Souvenir, which were her, two of her most recent films. The Eternal Daughter follows a middle-aged filmmaker and a mother who stay at an old country hotel, which holds meaning for them both and is meant to be a little bit spooky. The disc features a short film by Hogg, commentary, a 76-minute conversation with the director and a Q&A with Hogg and Swinton. Next, we've got 88 films in their January slate, all out on the 29th of January. No Pete Walker box set yet, though. That's still two months away. Um, 
but I can't, you know, go a month can't go by now, can it, without me mentioning that and giving it a plug? Uh, no, in January though, eighty-eight bring us their edition of Night of the Comet, which is a film I've got a lot of time for. I've watched it many times, hailing from the nineteen eighties, an era which is packed with so many film gems. My favourite Ghostbusters among them. It's a great comedy horror, a throwback to nineteen fifties sci-fi monster movies, and follows two Valley Girls left to battle zombies and menacing scientists. Now it'll be really interesting to see what this release brings to the table because so far all that's been announced is a trailer in a stills gallery and it's already had a decent release in the UK from Arrow. Whether it'll live up to that, not sure, but um, still worth a look. Pink film, which essentially is a term used for Japanese movies that feature sexual content at Tokyo Decadence, also gets released from 88 films. The film has been banned in several countries due to its content and follows a sex worker and a hedonist and criminal she encounters. The disc features an audio commentary by Japanese film specialist Jasper Sharp and Tom Mez, a promotional featurette, trailers, and a booklet essay by critic Hayley Scanlon. It's also scheduled to include an Obi strip. Now, fans of Radiance Films, who I wax lyrical about, will know these well. They're removable paper strips, usually containing details of the Blu-ray, bits about the film and what the extras are, and the BBFC ratings logo, and it means you can remove them uh, remove them, and have a ratings-free case, which is always welcome. So uh, I think this is great if 88 Films are going to be doing these going forward. Uh, 88 also bringing us Blu-ray releases of SWAT, starring Samuel R. Jackson, Cohen Farrell and Michelle Rodriguez, amongst others. The 1996 Ted Danson starring Loch Ness and 1969's Mosquito Squadron, which has been on my list to watch for a while. It's got a great cast, including David McCallum and Charles Gray. Next, we've got Second Sight, who bring us what looks to be the definitive edition of Mean Streets in a limited edition 4K UHD and Blu-ray set, plus separate 4K and Blu-ray editions all out on the 15th of January. This, if it needs to be said, is a phenomenal early Martin Scorsese crime film starring the great Harvey Keitel and Robert De Niro, a real gem amongst gems in the treasure trove that is Scorsese's filmography. The limited edition set is the one to get as it comes with a rigid slipcase, 178 page book packed with new essays as well as an extract from the excellent Scorsese on Scorsese book and eight collector's art cards. Ondest extras for each of the editions include a new audio commentary with Demetrius Matthau and David Thompson, scene-specific audio commentary with Scorsese and actor Amy Robinson, a Q&A, a feature-length documentary on screenwriter, screenwriter Mardik Martin and more. Best of all, it packs a new 4K restoration supervised by Scorsese and his regular editor, Thelma Shoemaker. Criterion have released this in the US with the same transfer, but the second site package looks to be the best edition. Second Sight are also releasing their 4K and Blu-ray release of High Tension, best known as Switchblade Romance in the UK. Listeners will recall I mentioned this in a previous edition. Well, it's been delayed and it's now on the 22nd of January. Eureka are up next and they bring us more excellent Japanese and Hong Kong cinema releases on the 22nd of January. First, we get a Masters of Cinema release of Samurai Wolf 1 and 2. A duo, of sem- sim- a duo of samurai cinema classics by director Hideo Gosha. This two-disc edition features a limited edition O-card slipcase and collector's booklet, plus an on-disc audio commentary on the first film and a feature on the director. This month's other two Eureka releases are on their classics range and start with When Taekwondo Strikes, which features Angela Mao, who Bruce Lee fans will remember from a brief but memorable turn in Enter the Dragon, portraying Lee's character's doomed sister in flashback sequences in the iconic movie. Here she stars in the film by Huang Feng alongside Taekwondo star Jun Ri. This packs another limited O-card and collector's booklet, a new feature commentary and the best of the martial arts films, a feature length documentary from 1990 presented by John Saxon, who was also in Enter the Dragon. Eureka's release of the Mao double bill Hapkido and Lady Whirlwind was excellent, so I'm looking forward to this one. Finally, on 29th of January, Eureka bring us the Jet Li starring Kung Fu Courtmaster, 
which again comes with a limited edition O-card and collector's booklet. And this time we get a new feature commentary with Asian film expert Frank Zhang and an archival interview with another star of the film, Sama Hung. Finally, in the index looks, we have Radiance Films, who had a brilliant first year and a kick in 2024 off in style. Each of their releases include limited edition booklets and are all out on the 29th of January. We get The Sting of Death, an acclaimed Japanese film, which won numerous awards, including the Grand Jury Prize at the Cannes Film Festival. This features a 50-minute documentary on the Japanese film renaissance of the 1990s and an interview with film scholar Hideki Maida. Another in their growing line of excellent Italian films is next, Goodbye and Amen, directed by Damiano Damiani, who directed How to Kill, How to Kill a Judge and two other films which Radiance released on their outstanding Costa Nostra box set in 2023. It's described as a gripping espionage thriller and features some memorable stars, including Tony Massanti, Claudia Cardinale and John Steiner. The disc features a 2023 restoration from the original camera negative an audio commentary by Eurocrime experts Nathaniel Thompson and Howard Berger, and interviews. Pitch Black neo-noir I, The Executioner, gets a world Blu-ray premiere from Radiance. The Japanese film, directed by Taikaito, is described as a precursor to the Italian Gelo cycle. The This features a visual essay on Japanese serial killer films and an appreciation by filmmaker Kenta Fukasaku. Finally, we get the latest Raro video release being distributed by Radiance in the UK. This time, its death occurred last night. The investigative thriller is accompanied on this limited edition Blu-ray by an audio essay and archival interview. So there's my in-depth look for the month, but now it's time for a brief run through some of the best of the rest of the boutique releases out in the UK in January. Now, Arrow, one of my favourites, but I've got to say they've had a strange start to 2024. Um, we've got the January release I'm going to mention now, and they've already announced their February and March lights. And we're not getting much. The US gets some exclusive releases, including some gorgeous sets of the two Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan films. But in the UK, so far anyway, we seem to just be getting 4K updates of films they've already released on Blu-ray. Hopefully that'll change. In January, it's the turn of Carrie, uh, which gets a stacked 4K release on 22nd of January. That's broadly the same as the previous Blu-ray release um, of the absolute classic Brian De Palma film uh, based on the Stephen King novel. Um, but obviously it's now in 4K. However, we do get Inside the Mine of Coffin Joe, which I waxed lyrical about in a previous edition of this very podcast. It was due out in December 2023, but it's been delayed and it's now released on 15th of January. Powerhouse Films, one of my favourites, um, as listeners will know, bring us three more releases on their awesome indicator label, all out on 29th of January and all featuring limited edition booklets in the first runs. We get Jamal Delavi's Jinnah, which stars one of my favourite actors, Christopher Lee, in what he considered to be the best performance of his career. And it's about the life of Pakistan's founding father, Muhammad Ali Jinnah, who Lee portrays. This looks to be better than the previous extras free Eureka release, as it features Dare to Dream, a 38-minute documentary, and a newly regraded high-definition remaster supervised by the director. John Frankenheimer's Impossible Object is also out in January. It stars Alan Bates and Dominique Sander and is an adaptation by Nicholas Mosley from his own Booker Prize shortlisted novel. This one includes a new 4K restoration, two cuts of the film, the original French theatrical cut and story of a love story, the alternative international cut, plus a new audio commentary by Tim Lucas and more. Finally, we get The Man Who Had Power Over Women by John Creesh, which I previewed last time and um, shared how much I love John Creesh and particularly public information films, amongst others. A reminder that this is a Powerhouse Films web store exclusive, limited to 3,000 copies. 
On 29th of January, 101 Films bring us a dual 4K and Blu-ray limited edition of Creature Features, Alligator and Alligator 2, The Mutation. Uh, these are stacked dish, discs. They've got uh, two cuts of the first movie, loads of interviews, trailers and, and more. And they look to be uh, really good additions. Uh, Peeping Tom, another I previewed previously, is out on the Studio Canal Vintage Classics label on 4K and Blu-ray. It's got a 32-page booklet, new video essays and interviews and archival features. And this controversial Michael Powell classic, which packs a new restoration, is out on the 29th of January. On 8th of January, we get The Frightened Woman from Shameless Films, a limited numbered edition Blu-ray described as a definitive edition of the slice of 1960s Italian cinema. It features two new interviews. Um, Shameless can be a bit hit and miss, uh, certainly with their transfer, so it'll be interesting to see this one. Their sister label, Cult Films, released a set of three spaghetti westerns on the same date, a bullet for the general Kioma, The Violent Breed and Django. Um, I've got the label's 4K release of Django, which came out uh, in December 2023, and it looks amazing, packed some great extras, including the documentary Django and Django, director Quentin Tarantino. Uh, the edition in this set is Blu-ray, not the 4K, but contains the same transfer and extras as the 4K release, as well as new extras for the other two films. Finally, the Criterion Collection bring us the Richie Valens biopic La Bamba, which has previously had a UK release from Eureka. Out on 15th of January, this features a new 4K digital restoration approved by director Luis Valdez, audio commentaries and interviews. Now, as I record this, I've just reviewed the disc for the Blueprint Review website, and I can say it's one to look out for. The transfer is astonishing. The extras up to the usual Criterion standard. Um, for those who haven't seen it, the film itself is evocative, atmospheric, and a really great watch. The soundtrack features covers of Valens' music by Los Lobos, and is just fantastic. It's a really great biopic about an icon of rock and roll who we lost far too soon. He was just 17 and eight months into his music career when he died in a plane crash dubbed the night the music stopped uh, with Buddy Holly and others. Criterion also bring us a dual 4K and Blu-ray special edition of Ridley Scott's Timeless Thelma and Louise, starring Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis, plus a star-making turn for Brad Pitt. Whatever happened to him? The director-approved set features a new 4K restoration supervised by Scott, two audio commentaries, new interviews, a documentary, and Scott's first short film, which is a real gem, Boy and Bicycle, from 1965, and as well as much more. It's released on 29th of January. So, January 2024, shaping up nicely. But wait. There's more. I have one final title to mention, and it's one to look out for in the coming months. Well, it's a lie, actually. There's a few. I'm going to focus on 88 films very briefly. They have an amazing slate plan for the early part of the year. In addition to the much longed-for Pete Walker set, have I mentioned that yet? We get Evil Dead Trap 1 and 2, a 4K release of the original The Amityville Horror, more Italian crime with the Franco Nero-starring Street Law, and much more. Two of the most anticipated titles will be released on 25th of March. 4K releases of the British classics Witchfinder General and Blood on Satan's Claw. I absolutely love Blood on Satan's Claw. These feature brand new 4K remasters and loads of extras. And I really look forward to sharing more in a future edition and seeing how they compare to previous releases of both films that both have had um, some you know, decent disc and Blood on Satan's Claw has already had a 4K in the U- release in the UK. So there we have it. Loads to look forward to. Thanks again for having me, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, John. Now, interesting you should mention Alligator because Alligator came up earlier. Neon Maniacs was the choice of our friend Matthew Stacey. Uh, okay. And Neon Maniacs was directed by the DOP for Alligator, a guy called wow. Joseph Mangine. So, yes, so that's fascinating. Uh, I'm going to take you up on OB strips, which I think complete pain in the ass. Uh, <laughs> well, what do you do with an OB strip, right? What do you do with it? You you, you open it with the Alex nice, and then you know, you tear apart the glue or you pull it off the package. <laughs> OB strip, pain in the ass. Uh, but, John, 
could have gone a lot worse. Uh, the Pete Walker set, I don't want to you know, challenge you on this again. All I was saying was, um, you know, today's reviews could have been a frightmare. Uh, luckily, it didn't, <laughs> all get, didn't all get the shit. So, and uh, um, let's looking forward, look forward to your comeback, Tom. So. If, if this Pete Walker set isn't great, we're going to be disappointed, <laughs> aren't we? Can't come soon enough. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. And if your New Year's resolution is to take up that annual subscription with treasured films, well, me too. Before we go, I just want to recommend a couple of my favourite podcasts out there to listen to in the new year. Tim Worthington's Looks Unfamiliar interviews a fantastic range of guests about items of pop culture that only they seem to remember. From long-lost cult toys to once huge but now disappeared TV, every episode is unmissable. And my old mate Kev Sutherland produced a terrific series last year entitled Comic Cuts, The Panel Show, where luminaries including Brian Bolland... Adam Roach and Peter Hogan take a single panel of a comic and glean massive insights into the frame and the comic surrounding it. Looks unfamiliar and comic cuts. Do check them out on your favourite pod chucker. And that's it for this time. Let's all resolve to get together next month for three more explorations into desperation and degradation. Don't forget to join the Facebook group Bristol Cult Film Society for many more raunchy recommendations where this lot came from. Pod people this time... Pod people this time include Alicia and Archer with her glorious glissandos, Saint Steve of Naive, with Liquid Sky, Queen Betty Fox with No Surrender, and multitudinous Matt Stacy with the Neon Maniacs. John Kirk is the Blu-ray Bloodhound. The pod was written, produced, and presented by me, Shameful Steve Noble, Shameful Steve on Twitter. And remember, great party, isn't it? Right, I'm Steve Naive, and I am. What was it again? What do I do? What do I, what do I say? Say who What's you are. Name, where, where you, you live, come what, from? <laughs> What's your name? Where'd you come oh, from? Where I live? My favourite genre. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, can you hear my washing machine in the background? No. No, all adds to the ambience. It's it's production value. It's a it's a what the old main sorry, that's my dog in the background. Like just just, um, Yeah, I think she's trying to make a comment on the film, actually, like that's offering her uh, a woof remarks there. Um, I've had taken away the trousers and given Percy a good rub down. <laughs>